episode 63 of the Habs Culture Podcast. My name is Justin Schwartz, and I'm alongside Liam Baum. And we're back. I mean, not back, but we were here last week, um, maybe a little over a week ago, discussing rankings in terms of left wing, right wing, and center, um, top five in their respective positions. We gave our lists a few controversial takes. Um, those were absolutely discussed on the social media platforms, uh, TikTok and Instagram. So we either had a lot of people agreeing with us or we had a lot of people disagreeing with us. But nonetheless, um, like I said, that's what we're here for. And that's what makes this all fun. Um, and you know what? We're a week closer to the start of the NHL regular season. Today, we are Tuesday, September 19th. Um, like I said last time, the start of the season is right around the corner. And we just keep getting a week closer and, you know, we're starting to see a little like more tidbits of information come out about the Montreal Canadiens and, you know, what their what their season is supposed to look like. Um, But today in particular, just to, you know, give you guys an idea of what's going to go down today, we're going to first chat about um, we're going to finish off our rankings by looking at defensemen. So not right defensemen and left defensemen, but the defenseman position as a whole, um, going through our top 10 defensemen each and then going through our top five goalies um, each. And then we're going to wrap it up with a little segment um, revolving around the rookie tournament that just took place this past weekend in Buffalo. So there were a bunch of forward prospects and a bunch of defensive prospects and goalie prospects that took part in the rookie camp in the 2023 rookie camp in Buffalo. Um, Liam, do you have anything to say off the bat? No, I think we're ready to start it off. You want to go ahead and give your, well, do you want to go one for one or let's just go top 10 list each? Um, I say maybe we go 1-1 one, one this time. Okay. Um, we go 1-1. One, one. We'll discuss it. We have a little bit more time because we're only covering two categories, right? So I think we can really discuss this. And I guess we'll start with the, the defenseman, obviously. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, should I go from 10 to 1 or 1 to 10 here? Let, let's go 10 to 1. 10 to 1. Okay. Obviously, this is going to be subject to discussion. It's going to be subject to debate, but we're going to get there. So I'm going to go um, my number 10 defenseman in the league as of right now heading into the 2023-24 season is Quinn Hughes. Um, So I have Quinn Hughes at that 10 spot. All right. So once again, just a reminder, this isn't based on the last like five years, 10 years. This is going into the next season who we think is going to have the most impactful play on their specific team. Right. And that's so, also newly yeah. mentioned captain too. So if I was just to give, you know, a little bit of background information on my decision, I think that he's undoubtedly, maybe not undoubtedly, but he's definitely up there in terms of defensemen in this league. And I think as long as he continues to work on his defensive game, because we know that his offensive game is already there. So I think that he merits that 10 spot for me. All right. I like that. He actually wasn't on my list. So we'll Fair see a uh, couple differences, but for number 10, I've got uh, Dougie Hamilton. Okay. Coming off a really good season. For sure. And uh, Dougie's interesting because I think that sometimes he either gets undervalued or too highly valued. But there's always a spot for Dougie Hamilton in a top 10 list. So I think that was right of you to include him there. Um, my number nine uh, might be a little bit more controversial just be based off the season that he just had. But my uh, my nine spot is Eric Carlson. Um, I thought that he had obviously an incredible season, 100 points by a defenseman, Norris Trophy in 2022-2023. Um, but if we're looking at his game as a whole, as a, as a defenseman in this league, I think he merits top 10, but he's definitely not amongst the elite in terms of his defensive capabilities. So that's why I put him in the lower echelon of that top 10. Yeah, definitely a bit of a liability on defense, but overall, if you look at the stats, when Eric Carlson was on the ice, he 
definitely brought up the play of San Jose in both offensive and defensive ways. But yeah, definitely a top 10 defenseman in the league still. And he's going to get a, a good shot to be a, a Stanley Cup contender on Pittsburgh. So we'll see Absolutely. how that works. Uh, my number nine may be a bit controversial. Maybe he should be a little bit higher. But just going into next season, I've got Victor Hedman of the Tampa Bay Lightning. It seems like Sergachev is going to take a bigger step this season. And, you know, last season we saw a bit of that. Sergachev started on the first power play. Hedman took a bit of a step back. He's still playing big minutes. But like we mentioned last podcast, we're talking about overall impact. And Hedman, I think, is going to take a bit of a step back. Because maybe two years ago, we're saying he's a top two, maybe number one defenseman in the league. So at number nine, I got Victor Hedman. You know what? I don't necessarily mind it. I don't think that you're. I don't think that you're far off by. You know, maybe underrating him a little bit um, versus consensus. I think you're looking at a 32 year old who's taken a massive hit in terms of injuries too. You look back on their on their three Stanley Cup playoff runs, or their sorry, the, they won two cups back to back, but then followed by another run last season. Look, they've all I'm saying is that they've been relevant for enough time for them to play more than 82 games every single season, and his and his body has absolutely taken a, a, a hit. Um, so I think that that might be due to age and also just, you know, wear and tear on the body. So I think that absolutely makes sense. Um, for me, it was harder because I'll get to Hedman at one point in my rankings and we can discuss this after. But to me, it was a little bit tougher to, you know, undermine Hedman's value and undermine what he's capable of doing even at at this point in his career. So I don't think you're too, too far off. I definitely disagree a little bit, but for the most part, I think. I think you're you're all right. Um, Perfect. At number eight, I have Dougie Hamilton. Um, so if I'm not mistaken, you had him at ten, correct? Yeah. So look, I, I like I said, I thought that he definitely belongs in the top ten. I put him at eight ahead of uh, two guys in Quinn Hughes and Eric Carlson. For one, because his defensive capabilities are much much stronger than those two guys. But also, I think that Dougie's all around game, like he still brings something to the table offensively, and I think that he's just a much more solid guy, a uh, solid player than those two guys. So that's why I have him at eight. And obviously the guys that are, are that I'm going to mention after might merit um, a lot more praise. Like there might be a little, in my opinion, a significant teardrop and that's including Hedman in those top seven. But anyway, I think that Dougie absolutely merits um, a top 10 spot. And in this case, the eighth spot in my rankings. Yeah. I, I think that's a well-deserved spot. He definitely had a really good season last year on a really good New Jersey team. So He'll definitely put up the same numbers this season. Uh, number eight for me, I've got Eric Carlson. So once again, coming off the Norris Trophy season, 100-point performance, gets traded to Pittsburgh. And now, I obviously, there's Chris Letang there, but he's still going to play, I think, that D1 role with all the injuries Letang's had. So... He'll be he'll be a very significant player for Pittsburgh and will be a big contributor to their squad. So let's move on to number seven. Yeah, for number seven, and it, just funny off the bat because you didn't include Quinn Hughes, but the guy that you would be replacing with Quinn Hughes in your list has not been said yet, correct? Yeah. Okay, so that's definitely interesting because I'm almost like incredibly curious because I don't even have someone off the top of my head. I have a couple guys, but I. Anyway, I guess we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, at number seven for me, and I think this is really relatively interchangeable with number six. Um, but number seven for me is Rasmus Dahlin. 
I'm a huge Rasmus Dahlin guy. I think that after this season, we might be even talking about him in the top five. Obviously, that top five is incredibly stacked with this new generation of defensemen that are able to play incredible amounts of defense while also contributing offensively. But Rasmus Dahlin is already at that point. And obviously, he's got he's taken a little bit longer to, I guess you could say, not not progress as a defenseman or develop as a defenseman necessarily, but he was undermined because he was a first overall pick and he wasn't necessarily contributing offensively as much as he was uh, or as much as other guys were at that at his point in his career. So obviously it took a, l- a little while to get going, but now he's at, at the top of his game. And I think that he absolutely merits um, the seventh spot on this top 10 list. And after the season, like I mentioned, I wouldn't be shocked if we're talking about him in the top five. Yeah. We're right on the same page here. I got Rasmus Dahlin too. So once again, I, I think he could be a top five defenseman. He's definitely showing the right strides to becoming that D-man number or that top five D-man in the league. So yeah, not much else to say, but I think he's uh definitely on pace to put up another 70, 70 plus point season. And I mean, Buffalo's looking to looking to make a a good push this season for the playoffs. So we'll see how he performs. And he'll ap- absolutely be a big part of that. There's no doubt. So yeah. that will be interesting to see. Um, at number six, I have Victor Hedman. Um, again, like I said, it was hard for me to kind of shy away from even not putting him top five, in my opinion. And obviously, I don't want to say it's recency bias because I think that recently, right? Like this past season was honestly one of his worst in a while. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about him as a Norris Trophy defenseman throughout his basically his whole career. Um, did he ever, did he ever get to winning a Norris trophy? Something leads um, me to believe that he maybe has one, but that's a, probably uh, yeah. where the line draws. I think he does. Was he the, like the first defenseman in a while to win a cup and a Nor? uh, yeah. And a Norris. Okay. So that might've been Makar, but I, 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 I think okay, he I'm going to, I'm going to fact check it. But, um, anyway, anyway, if you could fact check it out while I, while I check it out, yeah. uh, while yeah. I talk about Victor Hedman, but all I'm going to say is that I think that, you know, I still feel like the, the need to give him the respect he deserves. And, you know, people at home might be saying, well, look, you're looking at the 23-24 season. It's not about what he did in the past. It's what he's capable of doing. But I still think Hedman is still playing at an elite level despite his age and despite the wear and tear on his body. And that's why I still think he merits the sixth spot. I mentioned that I think that six and seven could be interchangeable. So I think that Darlene could take that sixth spot from Hedman, um, you know, going into the season. But I still think that he's comfortably inside that top 10. Um, Victor Hedman did win the Norris. I just cannot see what year. Okay, that's okay. But he did. Anyways, win one. yeah, he did win a Norris. It should pop up in a second. Oh, it's okay. But yeah, Hedman's still definitely a huge part of that decor and very much a top six defenseman in the league. I'd say like it, it's all up for debate, but he's definitely still a top defenseman in the league. No, no doubt about that. But right. I mean, look, he's he. So just to pull it up, I have it here. He's he's been a finalist five times, and he's only won once in 2018. So, like I said, like throughout his whole career, he's been in the conversation for the best defenseman in the league year after year. And now 2018, he finally gets his chance at winning it. Has a down season last season, but again, like obviously, there's going to be a new look. Well, not new look. The core is intact. But what I mean by new look is that I don't think that this Tampa Bay team is necessarily going to be in a position to win the cup again nor even come close this year and i know like a lot of people like to discredit them every year and then they somehow find their way but 
I think that last year was their chance to keep that role alive. And they, you know, they were a first round exit last year um, for the first time in a while. So look, I mean, look, Hedman's going to be in a place to still eat big minutes. Sergachev's obviously going to take that step, but I think that there's a lot riding. I think that th this team is still depending a lot on Hedman to, you know, as a minute cruncher, as well as a, you know, offensive contributing defenseman on a high powered power play. Right. So yeah. we'll see. Maybe with a longer summer too, he gets some more rest and comes back stronger. We'll see. Because also, just not to, uh, like, I don't want to go into it too much, but it really did surprise me how Sergachev, like, took power play one from him at one point. And I feel like it was a very, like, he was on a very short leash to start the season, right? It was like 15, 20 games in, all of a sudden, Mikhail Sergachev is taking over first power play. Hedman wasn't contributing offensively like he should have been, but it was almost weird considering what, like, Hedman's track record, right? So that that threw me off a little bit. But nonetheless, I guess you have to start moving on at some point. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're paying a defenseman that much, like, sir, what is it, nine and a half for Sergachev or eight and a half? It's a you, lot. You got to utilize him. So maybe it's Sergachev taking over the reins of defenseman number one on the team for the future. Maybe like, uh, I don't really have a comparison here, but Mark Giordano kind of took a step back after he won a Norris. After, right. So anyways, Hedman's getting older. We'll see what happens, but he's definitely still the top defenseman on that team right now. Uh, number six for me, I got Jacob Slavin. So defensively, probably the best defense defensive. I guess he's a two way defenseman, but defensively the best defenseman in the league, any stat, any advance that will show that um, super underrated just because he is the biggest offensive producer, but sneakily still puts up like 40, 45 points. So, can't undermine the defensive play. Again, it's really hard to measure in a top 10 when you're up against all these more offensive defensemen. But I can't leave him off the list just because of the impact he has defensively and is just a step above so many other defensemen in that way. Yeah, I mean, I, that's definitely, uh, that's more than valid. Um, I think that, I think he... Look, I guess looking at my top 10, right, I have a couple defensive liabilities there in Quinn Hughes and, and Eric Carlson. And, I mean, you can argue that Slavin's defense alone, right, merits to be above Carlson's offensive upside as a defenseman. Yeah. So I think there's definitely merit. Um, and, and I guess in my case, I definitely underrated Slavin because there's so many big names and it's hard to, it's hard to measure um, when you're when you're looking at a defenseman who contributes at both ends of the ice, but I think that's definitely uh, I think that's definitely a fair ranking for Jacob Slavin. Um, on to number five for me. Uh, that was that was number five for you or number six? That was for number you? six for me. Right. Okay. So number five for me is Charlie McAvoy. Um, I think he's taken immense strides since entering the league. I think that at this point in time, right, like we said, he's contributing at the at, at both ends ends of the ice. Um, almost equally, I'd say he he quarterbacks power play. He's very, very relentless defensively. He's an, he's a brilliant skater and he's a very, very smart defenseman that, you know, slows down the pace of the game for a high tempo Bruins team. So I think that when healthy, right, he came off, a uh, an injury, like he started the season. Um, he didn't, I th actually no, he did start the season, but last off season he was hurt. Um, yeah. so there were a few concerns about what his game was going to look like, but he came back and looked. I guess you could say almost better than ever. Um, and his skating wasn't affected whatsoever um, based on the injury that he had. So that's why I'm ranking him at number five. Yeah, he's he's super. He's just such a complete defenseman. And that's why I have him at number five too. 
So once again, Boston's going to need him to be his best considering Bergeron and Krejci are gone. Um, obviously plays that power play one role, puts up points, just very solid defensively. I think he is that number five defenseman in the top four here. We're probably not going to have too much debate. Right. Yeah, I don't think so either. So you had McAvoy at number five too, right? Yeah. So, so there you go. Okay, so I mean, I, we might have a little bit of debate though. Maybe. Might have maybe. a little bit, but we'll see. At number four for me is Miro Heiskinen. Um, I'm a big Miro Heiskinen guy. I've, I, I don't know. I've, I just been like, kind of like McAvoy. I think that they play a very similar style of game. I think that Mac uh, Heiskinen has a little bit of the edge because defensively he's almost like, he's a magician, just like Datsuk can with his hands is a magician. Heiskinen's a magician defensively. And it's honestly fun to watch him play defense, which is what we're, I mean, not basing our ranking solely on, but it's a big part of what we're, of what we're looking at here. So I really like Miro Heiskinen. I think that again, he benefits from playing on a very, very deep team, but there's, but nonetheless, he, he's literally the, the leader of that defensive core and he contributes every single time he's on the ice. This guy plays almost 30 minutes a night, you know, 25 upwards every single night. And it's just, it's a pleasure to watch because it doesn't even seem like he, you know, his motor, he has such a high motor. It doesn't even look like he gets tired. And yeah. I think that that's something to, uh, that, that you got to attribute value to as well. So I'm a really big Miro Heiskanen guy, and that's why I have him at number four. Once again, we're on the same page here. Miro Heiskanen number four. Ever since he had that playoff performance in the bubble season, I think it was, he had like 30 points or something, or 20-something points. It was ridiculous. He was like second in the league in points in the playoffs. Ever since then, I've been a huge Heiskanen guy as well. I think he does get that slight edge over McAvoy. But uh, yeah, overall, super complete player. Just really love watching him. Very underrated, I find. I think last year really showed why he was a top, even a top 10 D-man in, in the league because I think people were ranking him like under some of the guys we've we've named already. But yeah, Heiskanen, very, very solid defenseman. Maybe moves up to top three next season. We'll see. But yeah, for now, number four. I mean, again, like we're talking so much about his defensive capabilities, but yet he put up 73 points in 79 yeah, games. Like that's incredible. And like, yeah, you want to go back to um, go back to that playoff run just to allude to what you were speak- talking to, 26 points in 27 games in the bubble. And then in last season, he had 12 points in 19 games. So you're looking at almost a point-per-game defenseman who, right, like we can talk about being, like you were saying, Slavin is the best defensively. Like I could, I can honestly argue that I think that Heiskanen could be better defensively and contributes offensively too, right? So I think that there's no doubt in my mind that both of us having him at four is very, very valid. Yeah, and in in the last uh, or two podcasts ago, I said Dallas was going to be the number one team. So Dallas is going to need him to be at his very best this season and probably take even more positive strides for them to be first in the league. So, and yeah. it's almost and it's almost like he's. He's undervalued um, on his contract at $8.45 million, right? If we're ranking him inside that top five comfortably um, for him to get, be get, getting paid that, as much as it's a, a hefty sum in this in this like landscape in terms of defensemen, there's a lot of guys that are getting por- paid more than him that absolutely are, it, it, don't deserve it. So, considering, that's, uh, that's- considering Seth Jones and Darnell Nurse are making nine and a half, I think it's a pretty yeah. good contract. There you go. Um, at number three for me, this might shock some, I guess, but... I don't think it's even that crazy of a take. I have Adam Fox at three. Um, I know I'm going to assume that you have Adam Fox at two, but the reason I have Fox at three, it's quite simple. It's not because of what, it's not because of Fox's lack of 
of production, but more because how much I appreciate Yossi and how much I think that, again, if you're looking as a pure defenseman and what he's capable of doing, while also contributing at both ends of the ice, at, at this age too, right? He's significantly older than anyone else in this top five. So I really, really do have um, an appreciation for that. Um, two seasons ago, he won the... No, he was a finalist for the Norris. No, or won I, the Nor- yeah, he won it, eh? He, no, he lost. Uh, right, but he, I think... I think he lost it. And he, um, I'm... Right, but he had an incredible he had a, an incredible season. Yeah. And honestly, like if it weren't for injuries and he was able to play eighty two games, I think that he would almost be point per game, you know, every single season. And that's on a Nashville team. So to me, that speaks a lot, a lot of volume. And again, like I said, high motor plays a ton of plays a ton of minutes. And uh, again, you know, like I put him in that top three in terms of defensive capabilities with Heiskanen and Slavin, right? So um, I, that's why I have. Oh, well, that's explaining why I have Yossi at two, but that's yeah. why I have Fox at three, and it's not it's nothing against Fox, really. Yeah, so yeah, you were right. We flip-flopped there. I got Yossi at three, and he carries that team. He's going to have to do it again this season with Saros, I guess, equally. But yeah, Yossi is their their top point-getter as a defenseman every year. Um, yeah, overall, he just carries that team. He's the captain. I don't think, I don't think anybody doesn't know. I don't even know how to phrase this, but... Nobody doesn't like Yossi. Everyone likes him. Yeah, he's, he's, just, he's a like he's a likable guy. That's very likable guy. Plays super hard. Somehow guides na- th- these Nashville teams into the playoffs. I don't even understand. Like two of the last, or whatever it was, like two of the last three years they made the playoffs, and their team just wasn't that good overall. But no, that's that's yeah. literally what it is, right? And I mean, look, like that's and again, it's nothing against Fox. And I guess I'll allude to why I have Fox three instead of two is because I think that he's he does his job but I think that he's way more offensive than than a guy like Yossi and when Yossi's putting up very similar stats that's why I like that's why I prefer Yossi at two versus Fox at three and Fox at three yeah that's fair it's definitely close a flip-flop yeah but in just in terms of preference I think I'd prefer Adam Fox He's very noticeable on the, not saying Yossi isn't, but I find Adam Fox is super noticeable on the ice. And although they do have Zib, Panarin, Kreider, all those guys, he's still, I think, the best player on that team, arguably the best player on that team. So maybe not including Shesterkin, but yeah, just right. overall as a skater, I think he's the best player and just the most dominant on the ice out of all those guys. Like if the, if the Rangers didn't have Adam Fox, I don't know what they would be, so that's why well, I have he, him at number two. Look, he's been a, he's he's twenty five years old, and he's been almost a point per game defenseman for since twenty twenty. So yeah. there's definitely no like it's not it's not a question of and he won the Norris two seasons ago, right? In in twenty twenty when he put up forty seven and fifty five. So it's not a question of why I don't like Fox. It's more of why I like Yossi so much. But that's the only difference for me. Yeah. Um, and then number one, I think I mean we'll just. We'll just briefly say because it's it's almost as it's almost as obvious to me as McDavid being number yeah. one at center, right? Like it's yeah. it's Kale McCarr, and you know not to be boring or anything, but this guy just brings it all, and like he's probably the he's probably one of the hardest players to play against in the league, aside from you know McKinnon and 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 Connor McDavid. Like that's that's my take, um, and yeah. and aside from goalies too. But yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. He's this is maybe it's not the same as the McDavid gap, but just in terms of a concrete number one it's Makar there's no debate about it if he didn't get hurt as much as he had in the past two seasons 
he'd probably be a 90 point defenseman. I wouldn't be surprised if he puts up a hundred one season like Eric Carlson did. So right. Yeah. Just super dominant on the ice. Best skater. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say like, there's no doubt in my mind that if, you know, Eric Carlson's hitting a hundred, a hundred points on, on a San Jose team, there's no, like I said, no doubt in my mind that Kale McCarr will hit a hundred on this Colorado team. He's been over point per game in every single season, of his career besides 2019, 2020. But I mean, look, he's, he's never played over 77 games, which I guess is somewhat of a cause for concern, like 77. And then the next most is 60. So it's a little bit, you know, as long as he can stay healthy, he's undoubtedly the best defenseman in the league, but that comes with the caveat of staying healthy. And I think that's obviously going to be a concern for Kale McCarr as his, as his career goes forward, right? He's only 24. So he's going to have to make sure that he can, you know, maintain um, his health there. Do you think McCarr could score 40? I do. I, uh, 40, 40 is a lot, but if he's going to get to 100 points, I think that's going to come with 40 goals. Because when he scored 86 and 77, he had 28. Yeah. So I could see 35 plus very easily. 40, 40 is ri- like, that's to me, not, not out of the question, but it's like a ridiculous number, you know, for a defenseman. I think but, he would be the next defenseman to touch hmm. 40. Not no, close. D- I don't no think doubt. there's a single. No, there's not a single other defenseman that would like come close to him aside from Carlson. And like, even at that, like Carlson's not coming close, you know, like I'm just talking about in terms of pure offensive upside. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's about it. But okay. So I, I look, we're relatively in line. Obviously there's a couple of guys that you, you brought or one guy that you brought in that I didn't have and vice versa. Um, but that's the fun of it. So let us know what you guys think of those rankings. Um, we're going to head on to goalie and we only rank, uh, ranking our top five Liam here, right? Cause we're yeah. not going to go top 10 no. for goalie. Um, but I say we get, we each give our list this time, um, one by one. And then, or you know what? You want to do the same way we did with the with the defenseman? Yeah, we could do that too. I, I really feel like there's going to be no debate here. Maybe not in terms of the rankings, but just in terms of who the goalies are. I think there might be one, because I know there's one, one that you don't particularly love that I like a little bit more. Okay. But anyway, I'll let, you, I'll let you kick it off. All right. Number five, I got um, Connor Hellebuck. Not much oh, okay. debate. Yeah. So I did thought you, you didn't love I didn't, him. Yeah. I, I got to be fair. Hellebuck, yeah. Maybe didn't have the best last two years, but before that, he was super dominant. And like, I, maybe I'm going back on stats from previous seasons. Like I said, I wouldn't. But at the end of the day, Hellebuck is is a very solid goalie, and I think undoubted undoubtedly a top five goalie in the league. Uh, I I couldn't agree more. And honestly, I'm the I love Hellebuck. I think that if you're looking at the and I have him number five as well. But if you're looking at at, at that Winnipeg Jets team, the reason that they've ever had success. And they haven't had a ton of it. Um, you know, they've been in a little bit of a weird spot because they've always been a competing team, but I've never got over that edge aside from the time that they went to the Western Conference final um, in, well, they made it to the second round against Montreal, but I'm talking about the Western Conference final where I think yeah. Vegas ended up winning the cup. Yeah. But well, was it Vegas who won the cup or Washington, Washington won the cup? But they Washington won the cup, but they played Vegas, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. what I meant. But um, anyway, all that to say is that I think Hellebuck has been consistently the best player on that Winnipeg Jets team. And it's not even particularly close in my opinion. Obviously they have a ton of great guys, but I don't think it's come close. And the reason that he's like, this guy's playing back-to-back nights sometimes because they're so dependent on him as a player and he's always at his best. And obviously he's had a couple seasons where he's been subpar, but even those subpar seasons are considered elite in the minds of a lot of people. So I, that's why I have him at number five as well. Yeah. And I think 
he's only one of the only goalies who plays like 60 games a season. So it's insane. It's insane. Yeah, it, it's really insane. But um, you want to get us with your number four? Yeah, number four, I've got, uh, you know, I really, really love this guy, UC Saros. So I think he can honestly be the number one goalie in the league if he was on a better team. It's hard to say. It's very hard to rank goalies because a lot of it relies on team play. But Saros, like Yossi, they carry this team together. And without him, Nashville would be in the absolute dumps. He's just, you, you saw when it was uh, two seasons ago when they played the playoff, uh, they made the playoffs and played against Colorado. Saros went out with injury and they just got clobbered. So, yeah, number four, just super consistently good goalie undersized but clearly it doesn't matter because his athleticism carries him i want to tell you one stat about uc saros that might blow your mind aside from 2015-16 where he only played one game in the nhl and he lost every season after that so 20 so from 2016 to 2023 he's had a winning record with the with the nashville predators every single season yeah and i guarantee and i and and to your point the reason for those for those stats for Nashville and the reason that he, like are it's because of him, mm-hmm. it's because of him and he's just so dominant and you know last year he played sixty four games the season before that he played sixty seven he won almost forty games in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty one twenty two and twenty two last year he won twenty three uh, sorry he won thirty three games so this guy's pushing thirty wins a season on a Nashville team that has been very very mediocre um, they made the playoffs. Two years ago, last year they didn't, but I mean, very mediocre, right? Like they were yeah. a first round bounce in 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 uh, two seasons ago. So yeah, and he didn't play. Oh right, did he not? Wait, why didn't he play? He was injured right before the playoffs started. Oh okay, so that that also speaks. They got, volume. They I, got I sweat. No, him. right, 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 right. Yeah, I think I forget by who, but I you're, Colorado. Oh, might have been him. Okay, right. Okay, so yeah, that I, that rings a bell, and I remember a lot of people were nervous. So I honestly forgot that, but anyway, that season he had he had a he had, I think he was um, a um, Vesna candidate uh, yeah. that season. He top three didn't win. I think they gave it to Flurry in yeah. the end. But anyway, whatever. Honestly, incredible goalie, undoubtedly top five. We're we're um, in line with one another so far. So good. Yeah, number three, I got Vasilevsky. So last season, I guess even the last two seasons, during his regular season, he wasn't anything spectacular. Nothing compared to the the seasons before that. But you can't argue that he's not in the top three just because of how dominant he is when it gets to the playoffs. The stat where it was like he hadn't lost back-to-back games in three years in the playoffs is like ridiculous. Every time they would lose, he'd come back and have like a shutout. His goals against were like under one so still a super super good goalie a huge part of that tampa team the guy looks like six foot seven in the net his gear is so big you just can't score on him but yeah undoubtedly top three definitely could be number one but i don't know how tampa is going to be this season so we'll see how he turns out but yeah can't argue that bassy's still a top three goalie in the league yeah i Disagree, but I understand your point. And I'm not like, I'm not. Oh, anyway, I'll just give you my number three and we'll we'll talk about it after. Yeah. I have um, Shesterkin number three. Um, I I agree with you in terms of where Vazzy's at in his career. 
And I think I was honestly debating putting him three as well, Vasilevsky. Um, but I just couldn't get myself to do it. I don't know why. I just couldn't get myself to do it because, again, looking, I'm not a, I don't like to go off based off just pure stats. But again, like this team, maybe a little bit less than like in Saros's case, for example, but has literally been like one of the biggest reasons that they've been successful both in the regular season and in the playoffs. And, you know, 30 plus wins every single season starts about 55 to 60 games every single season, you know, always posts over a 915 save percentage, always posts so un- uh, under uh, like a, a two, five goals against for, or two, six goals against for the most part. So like, or yeah. So, you know, like, I just think that he's impressive and it's just become a standard for, be, to, for him to be so impressive that people are just taking his talent for granted. Almost. I'm not yeah. saying you're doing that because three is still a phenomenal ranking, but like he's still he's still elite and he's still 29 years old and goalies, there's a little bit of longevity there. So I still, I, I think as long as he's in the net, Tampa's going to be relevant. And that's my take on Vasilevsky. And that's why I have him two over Shesty. Um, I love Shesty. I think Shesty's one of the best individual goalies in the league. If not, no, I'd say the second best individual goalie. So looking aside from team, um, but you, that sometimes, you know, gets baked in, right? Like it, yeah. it comes with the, it comes with the ranking. Um, but, you know, Shesty had a great season two seasons ago. Had a, wasn't going to be able to top a 940 save percentage because that's just absurd. Mm-hmm. Had still a solid season last year, but took a little bit of a step back. Let's see what he can do this season. But still a top three goalie for me. Yeah. Number two, I've got Sorokin. So this guy... Oh, wow. it, I, thought, I thought we were completely like, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I got Sorokin. But this is a similar case to Saris where he's on such a dust team that maybe his numbers take a hit, but it's still crazy that he's maintaining like a 920 save percentage and whatever his goals against is probably like 210 or something. Anyways, when he's in the net, the Islanders are actually a good team, which is so surprising. I wonder what his, I don't know what his record is, but he probably had like 30 something wins last year and what, like 10 losses. How many losses did he have? 22. 22. Okay. I was a little off, but he's still way over 500 and his stats are just absolutely absurd. But if you ask me, who do I want as my starter between Shesterkin or Sorokin? I'm going Shesterkin. I think um, I'm not gonna lie. I think it's kind of bold. Um, I like it. I like it. Like I'm not again like any of those guys in the top three, all Russian by the way, which is yeah. pretty cool. But we'll 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 single handedly win you games at different points of the season. You know, so like you can't knock you can't knock the argument. Um, for me. You had two, right? You had Sorokin at two. So our top three is the same three players, completely different order, which is really, really interesting. But for me, like looking at Sorokin, and again, if there's one reason that the Islanders are good, it's because of Sorokin. He's had over a, so he had a 918 in in his first season with the Islanders, a 925 in his second, and a 924 in his third. He's posted under a 94 goals against every single season. Again, starting an absurd amount of games. And I just think that, again, you take Sorokin out of that net in, in, uh, in New York, and you're looking at a bottom five team in this league, no doubt in my mind. Maybe, but two years ago, Varlamov was a Vesna candidate, or wasn't he right, a Vesna but, candidate? Right, oh, I don't know about Vesna, but he was more... Uh, I'll get his stats right now, but but look, I mean, like, yes, I'm, okay, I'm sure, not taking that, and I'm not taking that away. Like, Sorokin now is clearly the number one, and Varlamov's the backup. But I think... I know, but 
can I can I chime in here yeah, for a second? Yeah. Like, yeah. yes, he was a Vesna candidate, but we're also looking. I'm not going to call it an anomaly of a season, but so, but uh, Varlamov posted a 9:30 with a two goals against. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Like that's ridiculous. And I'm not like I'm just saying that it they that team specifically, and then I'll let you say something, is that they're going to depend heavily on goalie play. And if Sorokin's delivering that product year after year after year since he's been in the league, then 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 that's why he's the best for me. That's that's my okay. Point. Okay, I I just think having a good backup helps your starter maintain his play. And that's just not the case with a team like Tampa and the Rangers, where when their backup's in, they're probably at even odds when they play like the Red Wings or something in the in the past years. So right. I that's why I just think Sorokin is number two. I mean, it's just very hard to argue. If Hypothetically, if Russia's in the olympics who's your starter out of those three who's your starter yeah who's your starter that's insane um look i mean yeah you're right like look if you look back to last season varlama played 23 games he posted a 913 save percentage like those are very serviceable as a backup and almost merit starter starter positions on a on a lesser team right so like obviously lambert like it went from trots to lambert and obviously lambert's is kind of mean like everyone thought that he was going to go ahead and push a very offensive game plan and try and and try and incorporate uh, Matt Barzell and now Bo Horvat, but clearly they still have stuck to their defensive ways. And maybe it's just a product of the fact that they have an in like a very, very strong decor as well as, you know, maybe not the, in your case, I guess not the best, but a top three goalie in this league. Like maybe he just wants to stick to that, to that game plan. And maybe that's why they continue to get wins and stay somewhat relevant. But I still think that taking Sorokin off that team you know, if we're looking strictly at what that player contributes to that team, you're really taking a lot of wins away from uh, the New York Islanders. Yeah. But. So, yeah, number one, I got Sterkin. And, I mean, you just can't argue against those stats. He's just so good when he's playing well. Last year, he dealt with a bit of injury, if I can remember correctly. I mean, I don't think he missed that game. Games, so, I don't know how, I don't, like, usually he'd probably start, like, 65 or something. Yeah, maybe, I don't so. know. If, yeah, I don't know if something was nagging, but... When he's on his game, I think he's the best goalie in the league. But just going back to it, I, I think hypothetically, Russia's starting Vasi in the Olympics. That's just my take. Doesn't make him yeah, the best just, goalie, but just based off of pure like track record too, right? Like yeah. you gotta get like the and and realistically, if there's one guy that it's gonna be their last Olympics, it would be Vasi versus the other two, right? Both you know, Shostrikin being twenty seven and Sorokin being twenty four or twenty five or yeah. whatever it is. So yeah. I mean, look, yeah, you can't argue with Shostrikin's numbers. I mean 12, 12 games in 2019, 2020, but 932. Then 916 followed that up with 35 games played. Then a 935 with 53 games played. Like a 935 is beyond ridiculous. 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 Beyond ridiculous. It, it, it's, and like, it's like all mark numbers, but his team was not as good as Boston. So right. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, gotta give it, gotta give it to him. But nonetheless, our top five players are the same. So I guess it showed. And by the way, we did not talk about our rankings before we went into doing this. So I guess that brings uh, that that makes it fun too. Yeah. Um, all right. So that was cool. Um, did you want? We wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the rookie tournament for a second. Yeah, we can mention it. Both of us couldn't really catch all the games they were on in the afternoon, but a couple standouts included uh, Josh Hua, who had a good tournament. Or first of all, the Canadians went two and one in the three games they played, so not too bad right there. Uh, but yeah, a couple standouts. Josh Hua had a really good game. Um, Logan Mayu had a terrible first game, but in the second game, he played 
very well, according to some of our sources. Um, any other guys? Um, so like I mentioned to you before, Liam, I had a buddy that was at the tournament, so got to see like a few games, which was cool. Um, he, I'm not going to go through every single player that he mentioned because he gave me an, an, an awesome report. But you know, for the bigger names, um, like Mayu had a really, really bad game one, a much better game two. So that was obviously something nice to see. But I think a lot of people can agree right now that he's definitely not NHL ready. So people that are speculating that he's going to show up to camp and take a spot away from the six guys that are there right now is is kind of crazy. So I yeah. think that we should temper expectations for now. Um, other than that, I heard that Massar is that was actually relatively concerning um, in his play. Not I know it's I know it's year two, but not even showing any flashes of being you know a first round borderline second round pick here. Um, which is concerning because it doesn't look like he's grown too, too much. doesn't look like his game has changed too, too much, which kind of sucks because you try to find those gems at the back end of that first round. But I guess that wasn't in the cards or isn't in the cards so far for Philip Mishar. Um, other than that, I think there were a couple guys that stood out. Um, you said, you mentioned Roy. We talked about Beck. Heineman looked pretty, pretty good. Um, and I guess the one that stood out to a lot of people was uh, Touringy also. I don't know if it's Michel or, Ma- or Mikael Touringy, but small right-hand defenseman, incredible, incredible skater. Um, so that was cool to see because not like we need another right-shot defenseman, but you know it's always nice to have them at our disposal. So that was cool too. But aside from that, not many. I think, I, uh, Liam, Will I'm going to say this. Yeah, Will Trudeau as well. He's a, he's a forward, an undersized forward, but I think that he plays a very, very aggressive game as well. Um, He's a four. I thought he was a defenseman. So did I. And I thought it was Touringy and Trudeau flipped. But yeah. He was the captain, eh? Yeah, he was. I think so. Yeah. And I was going to... I no, was he, gonna also he's a defenseman. He is a defenseman. Tr- so then I'm thinking of someone else at forward then. Um, Are you thinking of Simono? Yes. It's, it's all these solid. French names. A lot of, a lot of the French names. But yeah. Um, this report says uh, Yan Mishak had a, a solid tournament, so... He did. I just don't think that there's ever going to really be like a place for him yeah, on this team, yeah. unfortunately. Like if it comes down to Heinemann and Meshack, I guess you're taking Heinemann at this point. But right. at least the AHL might be a pretty good good team this season. Hopefully we right. see some success in Laval. But here's something that I'll tell you, Liam, and I think it's I think it's really, really concerning. And I guess we'll leave it on this note, is that this Montreal Canadiens team, or I guess prospect pool, does not have top end forward talent. And it sucks to see because we've had two drafts now. And again, Slavkovsky's obviously obviously quickly made the jump to the NHL. So I guess you can't really, you know, categorize him as a prospect at this point. Um, so we get I guess we have to see how oh sorry, sorry, just got a trade. Um oh, wow. as as we're on air, Montreal Canadians send Casey to Smith and receive Tanner Pearson and a third round pick. Hmm. Okay. That's just what team. Where's Tanner Pearson at right now? Is it is, is it, it uh, Vancouver? Or? Is it Vancouver or is it or is it the Pens? I don't know. Tanner Hold Pearson up. is on Vancouver. So okay. Vancouver. interesting for Vancouver. Why they have Mikey Di Pietro, but right. Um. Okay. Well, that's interesting. that's interesting. I mean, you know what? Again, for Casey to Smith to, to get a third round pick, and I guess a roster player is really really not bad. Third um, round pick for free and. Maybe we flip Tanner Pearson. Who knows? But yeah, seriously. Um, well, but solid. sorry. All all that to say is that I think that like the Montreal Canadians are going to have to do a lot of 
you know, again, is it going to be another bad season where they're going to pick inside the top 10 or top five and pick a forward? Because the Montreal Canadiens had the chance, and we talked this at length, they had the chance to pick um, uh, Mave Mitchkov, didn't pull the trigger, pulled the trigger on Reinbacher, which is totally okay, and I don't think that we that either of us dislike that pick, but at what point are you going to say that this decor is going to be A1, but if you can't put the puck in the back of the net, then... We're going to be the Islanders. We're going to be the Islanders. Right. So, yeah. Um, Casey DeSmith's highlight of uh, his Habs career is the golf tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully he hit a par. (laughs) I I watched or I looked at that picture and like I looked, I I, like I almost forgot that we had Casey DeSmith and I was like, who is this guy? There were so many guys there that just aren't going to crack the lineup. Like Elias Anderson was there. I know. I honestly, again, forgot that he was on the team. But... And Gustav Lindstrom, right? So. Who's also not going to play a game realistically? Yeah, there, there are a lot of guys, but all a lot of defensemen. Say, yeah, a lot of defense. All that to say, though, looks like we have our goalie tandem, Jake Allen and Samuel yeah. Montalbo. Well, put them in the order that they're that they're in, Montalbo and Montalbo then Jake Allen. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see. I think so. But I don't know. You know what? Like again, if we're looking towards the future, I do think that this Montreal Canadiens team definitely lacks a star player at forward because right now, and disagree with me all you want, but I, I'm staying true to this. I don't think the Montreal Can- Canadiens have a bona fide point per game player in this league. I don't. At I this really, point, really yeah. At this point, no. But hopefully. Like I, in the future, I just can't see a player like Caulfield being on the second line, you know. So maybe Suzuki's oh, uh, a second line center, but at least we have a guy that can score goals. No, no, right. I'm not. I'm not saying that in like a negative. Like I guess I am adding a net- negative co- co- connotation to it. Excuse me. But what I am saying is that like I, you don't need an 100 point player to win the to win the cup, right? You saw that with St. Louis, and you even saw, saw that, that with Vegas. With, like Vegas, right? Like it's yeah. not it's not a a must. But all I'm saying is that. If Suzuki caps out at 75 points and if Caulfield caps out at, you know, 75 points because he probably has the 40 goal upside and the 30 point or the 30 assist upside, like, and Doc probably has 60 to 65, maybe 70 point upside, like no, no shame on that because it's a, it's very, very well balanced. But if you add that one player that can get you 90, right? Like that's a scary top six. Yeah, that's scary. for sure. For sure. I mean, but again, our, it's not a necessity. We don't, we definitely don't have that prospect that's got that potential right now like if if you're including Slavkovsky I don't think Slavkovsky is going to be a 90 point player but if you're including him in that talk we still don't have that player so hopefully if if we do finish very poorly again this season which I don't know if that will be the case but most likely will be the case hopefully we can grab a forward but again another concerning thing I don't want to get into it too much but nine of the top 15 prospects right now based on bob mckenzie's rankings for 2024 are defensemen so right. what's the plan so it, is- it, it also begs the question it's like well how much foresight is there how much how much how proactive is this brass being considering that if next year there's like you said nine out of the 15 top prospects as of right now are defensemen well then why didn't maybe they go the the forward route this year trade back whether it's to pick Mavi mishkov who we really really wanted or even if it was to pick um uh I'm blanking on his name now. The guy that went to Washington. I liked him too out of the USNDP. Blanking on his um, name. Uh, Ryan Leonard. Ryan Leonard, thank you. Like, like, why wouldn't they maybe... Because you're obviously... You got to be anticipating another season where you're maybe not bottom five, but you're not going to be... You're not going to be top 15 of the, in the league either. You're yeah. not. I mean, look at look at uh, Jaeger. He had an insane rookie tournament. Right. Definitely showing crazy offensive upside. 
and he slipped in the draft. Same for Zach Benson, had a crazy off crazy tournament. And those are just guys we missed out on because we were really stressing that we needed a right-handed defenseman when we're not competing this year, and there's more than a handful of them next year. So it's like hard to see. It's hard to see what the plan is. And like we already have a, a log jam at right D right now, right? Like Justin Barron is realistically gonna be in this lineup because I'm not saying that it's now or never. But like, I feel like the longer that this process goes on where he's in and out, in and out, in and out, then at one point you're going to have to move on because there's so many players that could take his spot, like with the snap of their finger, like with the snap of a yeah. finger. Right. So, so I'm just like, I'm concerned that it's like, yeah, Rhinebacker is going to come in here and, you know, hopefully be a first, if not like worst case scenario, a second pairing defenseman on that right side. But how much longer can we like, how much longer can we just continue to crew all these right-handed defensemen and these defensemen in general? to have, you know, debatably maybe the best defenseman prospect pool in the league, but to have an offensive or a forward core that's just, you know, meh, I guess. Yeah, in, unless we're going out and signing a bunch of guys, but I just, that's not going to happen. Like, the Canadians are just not known for signing guys like that, so. Yeah, I was going to just ask you a quick question off the top. Like, do you think if the Montreal Canadiens, let's say, finish top ten, bottom 10 next season, have a top 10 pick, hopefully targeting a forward in this case, do you think that there's any chance that maybe like depending on the strides that a lot of these guys took this year, like this coming season, maybe Kent Hughes and their brass goes out and signs a free agent? Like, and I know you don't win. I don't know. you. I know you don't win this league through the free agency, but if Nylander somehow gets a free agency, right? Like, and, and is, and wants money or if it's, I know there's a bunch of big names, so I'm, I, I don't know them off the top of my head, but is that, you think that's in the cards? Personally, I I think it's more likely that we trade the pick for a guy that's in the age range of Caulfield and Suzuki rather than going out and signing someone just because the Habs just, when was the last time we signed a top six forward? Because I no one wants to play for us though, right? Yeah. It's like when you get here, when you get drafted and you get grown through this development process, you want to be here, but no one wants right. to come here. Well, that's the problem. Dude, I mean, we, we, we asked Tavares for a, for a, for an interview. He declined the interview. Obviously, inevitably he was going to end up in Toronto because that's where he wanted to play. But like the fact that there's a lot of these players that are just, you know, unwilling to come here is already a red flag in the first place. So we're going to win this league. We're going to win the cup by building through the draft and by building through development. And the problem is, is that if we're banking on young raw players and don't develop them properly, then we're, and then we're at a roadblock. Like yeah. then we're, we're never getting anywhere. But, but to me, it's even more concerning that we couldn't even get like our hometown guys, like the rumors with Huberto. We, I don't know if we made an offer. Obviously we don't have Dubois. the information. And exactly. I was getting to Dubois. It's like, it's sad that we can't even get our home hometown guys to come here so and then it's yeah and then yeah. it's sad that we can't even you know retain a guy like Radulov when he's one guy that wanted to play here yeah or like you know like Toffoli was different because we traded him and it made more sense but like there's there's only a handful of people that like Domi was happy to be here like we're shipping out all these guys and again at there's obviously an advantage to doing so but it begs the question like there's so, only so many people that want to play here and then when they come to play here and then they leave and it's like yeah. we can't retain them like it's like yeah. it's there's, what, there's wasted potential because it's the same case with Lekin and like his whole career in Montreal, the guy's a 30 point player, not getting any minutes. He goes to Colorado. Obviously there's Nathan McKinnon. Obviously there's Miko Ranton and, and he puts up 60 points, scores the two biggest goals in Colorado's history to win the cup. Like it's just, it's disappointing to see. So all that to say, I don't think we're signing anybody because it's just not in the Habs 
what's the word is just it's just not in their history that they sign a guy that'll come and make a huge difference it's more through the draft but then again we're seeing stuff like trading for Dak and trading for new hook hopefully they come in and make a difference so i wouldn't be i wouldn't be super surprised i mean i'd be a little a little surprised if we trade our pick this season but at the same time i think ken hughes wants to build a core around the same age of all those guys like 22 23 years old so if we go out and acquire a guy in that age range that that's a top six forward, I wouldn't be too surprised if we gave up on our pick just because how much longer can we develop guys for? Right. So I think we're going to that. I guess, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And I guess that obviously makes for a very, very 2023, 24 season. Um, Look, and we're definitely going to jump back on here because again, like I said, at the beginning of the show, we're right around the corner. We're at the 52-minute mark, so we're obviously going to call it here. But again, as I always say, let us know what you guys want to see. We're going to try and be semi-consistent, um, especially during the season, because I think it's way more fun that way. And uh, it allows you guys to you know, tune in and, and hear about you know, a few games a week and where players are at and where they, and where they sit in terms of our power rankings. Because, you know, uh, I don't know, it's either the, the Montreal Canadiens are either going to stay competitive or they're going to be completely terrible again. But either <laughs> or, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, first yeah, game is uh, yeah. First yeah. game next Monday versus the Devils. It's going to be exciting to see that the Habs uh, training camp roster still hasn't released. Only the only team to not release theirs yet. So maybe there's a couple PTOs in there. But um, yeah, other than that, I think. And uh, just to, just to um, fast forward a bit here to the start. Do you know what day the the regular season starts? Uh, I believe it's October 10th for the Canadians. Right. Uh, no, uh, the, yeah, uh, I think it might be the 11th, 10th for, for a few other teams, yeah. 11th for the Habs the against the Leafs in Toronto. So it doesn't get any more classic than that. Um, we'll be but, back before that though. Oh, definitely. oh, oh. we'll so. be back two times before that, but just, just to, just to throw it out there for, for excitement purposes, because it yeah. is right around the corner. Um, yeah. So anyway, guys, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. As always, um, let us know what you guys want to see. Make sure to check out the socials. Habs Culture, one word on pretty much everything. Um, so check that out. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks, Thanks a lot, guys. guys. Take care. One sec. It doesn't matter.